You're listening to the Ag Watch Podcast, where we dig deeper into the story to find the people and forces growing American agriculture. Hosted by Terry Simmons. Welcome to Ag Watch. I'm your host, Terry Simmons. Our guest today is John Bozeman, Senior United States Senator for Arkansas. Dr. Bozeman was first elected to the Senate in 2010 and was re-elected in 2016 when he garnered nearly 60% of the vote and became the first Republican Senator from Arkansas elected to a second term. Senator Bozeman, welcome to AgWatch. Earlier this month, you co-sponsored legislation for securing required infrastructure for water now. And this bill would address a $500 billion shortfall in water infrastructure uh, that ranges from local water systems, waste and stormwater, all the way to dredging large navigable waterways like the Arkansas River. Why is this kind of legislation so important in Arkansas and the nation? Well, it really is important in Arkansas and the nation in the sense that if we have an infrastructure bill, which we're working hard to get done, we don't want it to be just the three R's, railroads, roads and runways. We want to make sure that water infrastructure is included. So this is a way to, to put a marker out there and say this is very important. Uh, you know, we need to invest in everything. Uh, and that's that's how you are able to economically advance. Uh, those things are every bit as important as the traditional things. So many of our communities have worn out infrastructure. You know, our older communities have been around for a long time. Uh, and then just in general, you know, as you as you uh, expand communities and things, expand areas, you simply have to have that, the water infrastructure in place. Broadband is another area that uh, we're also very, very concerned about for the same reason. You simply can't have economic development if you don't have those kind of things in place also. Things that we haven't traditionally thought as much as we ought to have about. Well, you know, I really advocate for, to you right now about broadband. Uh, one thing we do here at AgWatch, we try and cover new technologies, uh, agricultural entrepreneurs, things like that. And uh, a lot of these guys that I talk to, of course, they have digital uh, products that need broadband, uh, but they're field monitors and things like that. And once you're out in the field, away from the small towns and the populated area, um, you don't have hardly any cell phone coverage a lot of times, much less any kind of data connection. No, it's really important. And, and sadly, it's, it's sometimes it's not just in the field. Uh, you go by, by, a lot of communities go by their schools in the evening and on the weekend, you see kids sitting in the back of pickups uh, using the broadband that's from the school because they simply don't have it, uh, you know, in their in their homes. So it is very, very important. Uh, it's, it's something that... Uh, the technology now is vital in the sense that we rely on it so much today. You can imagine how it's going to be five, ten years from now. And these things don't just get put in overnight. You know, it takes time. So we do need to work very, very hard, both as a state and a nation, to make sure that people have the ability to, to get that so that they can compete. So an ongoing problem that we've had here in northeast Arkansas, especially in eastern Arkansas in general, is with river flooding. Uh, The White River Basin, the Cache River, the Black River, uh, all these rivers for at least three years now, we've had disaster level flooding events with them. Um, What can be done at the federal level to address some of this funding? Uh, or to address these problems and try and get some funding lined up and bring all the stakeholders 
to the table uh, because, you know, as soon as you start talking about drainage and runoff, um, you've got pollution, you've got the EPA, you've got the uh, wildlife people, conservation, all that. What can be done to really start a conversation about that in a rural place like Arkansas? Well, I think the conversation has begun uh, very much so. What we're seeing are these 500,000-year floods that are happening every two or three years, uh, not just in the in the, a region, but in the case that we're talking about right now as we speak, literally the whole state is, is being deluged uh, where you have, you know, just inches and inches of rain over a very short period of time. That water's got to go someplace. And so it, it really stresses the system uh, in a way that we haven't seen before. So we're working with the Corps of Engineers, you know, people like that, trying to figure out uh, what we do in the future. And... Uh, you know, it seems like we have these this record deluge, and then maybe a couple of years later, you know, we're blasting the Mississippi to try and, you know, make it so that barges can go down because we're in drought. Uh, so it's it's a it's a difficult problem. We're working with the Corps, uh, really working with uh, all kinds of people in order to see if we can figure out a, a path forward. It's great to identify these problems and, and talk about needs for infrastructure and development of broadband and uh, with uh, dredging the rivers and things like that. But we live in, a, in an era of very tight federal budgets. We live in an era of tax cuts and an era of trying to reduce the size of government. How would funding for that and where would that come from? Well, I think you need two things. Certainly you need funding, and that's always a challenge. And really, at every level of government, I, I would argue that, you know, that, that all of this is not due just to federal funding. Most of this stuff in the past has gotten uh, taken care of either at the farm level, uh, city, county, state level. Uh, in the old days, it was easier if you had a, you know, a stream that was getting out of its channel. Uh, you know, the local farmers would take care of that, the county judge or whatever. We've got so much red tape to go through now, and you need to... You know, you need regulatory, uh, you know, things in place, but you also need to use common sense. And so uh, the EPA under Scott Pruitt, they're doing a much better job of rolling back some of the unnecessary regulation. So I hope that we can make it easier to manage uh, the rivers and streams that we have that are in some cases causing some of the problem, although it's, it's really difficult when you have, you know, such, such unprecedented downpour in a short period of time. So we need to work on the regulatory form. We do need to, to work on the uh, on federal funding, but also the, you know the state and the uh, and and the local uh, areas of government are also going to have to put up. and And I think we can do that, uh, working uh, trading in kind, you know things like that, but uh, making it such that it's easier for them to do the work without such regulatory hassle. Well, that's good to hear. That's uh, and we've had a very strong editorial position with the, the waters of the U.S. And, yes. and things like that, which was just onerous regulation yeah. that no one would ever be able to follow, exactly. and was just uh, open open ended, uh, a blank check for the EPA. Well, it was all about in in waters of the U.S. was was all about really uh, controlling how you use your land, and it was all going to be done out of Washington. And, uh, you know, when you federalize essentially almost all of the water in the United States and you've got tremendous clout in being able to regulate how those land users are going to use their land in the future, that's not what America is all about. 
And, and that's why, you know, we're seeing the, the EPA under Scott Pruitt working hard to push that back. So it's farm bill time again. It is. And uh, 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 last time it was just a nightmare trying to get something passed through Congress and something that the president would sign. It was. You know, this, this is not, you know, farm bills aren't, they're not Democrats and Republicans. We hear a lot about the rancor in Congress. But as you know, it's it's all about regionalism. Southern agriculture has, you know, with the ability to irrigate, uh, you know, you irrigate and you put the, the fertilizer to it, we're going to grow something. Uh, the eyes, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, they've got their things, you know, that they do. Uh, the Great Plains, everybody's different. So this is a regional thing versus uh, uh, Democrat and Republican. I hope what we learned in the last farm bill and, and eventually, you know, we, we got a product that, that has been very, very helpful. Big change from the previous farm bill. But I hope what we learned was that we have to come, become united, have to take care of everybody when we come out of the committee so that we can get these things passed on the floor of the, the Senate and the floor of the House. How, how well does the Senate Agriculture Committee function? It functions very well, and, and it's really very bipartisan. I was so pleased. There was an effort uh, in... The last, when we passed a highway bill a few years ago, they were going to take significant funding uh, out of the farm bill to help pay for that. And uh, Pat Roberts and his ranking member, you know, said, no, you know, we're not going to do that. Uh, Mike Conway in the House did the same thing, stood up, got complete support from the committees, you know, members of the House on the committee, members on the Senate. They said, no, you know, we're not going to do this. And as a result, they had to, to pull back and look for funding other places. That's really what you want, you know, in the Ag Committee is to protect. It's hard enough to make a farm bill, but then you have to protect it once you make it. As far as I'm concerned, it's a contract. And, you know, how do you operate a business if you don't know from year to year exactly what the rules are going to be? So we need to come up with a farm bill. And then very importantly, uh, we as a committee, we as a Congress, need to stand behind the farm commit the farm bill as we as we construct it. We need to stand behind it for the first duration. So, kind of in that <clears throat> same vein, President Trump recently uh, sent out his budget proposal, which included some big cuts to agriculture yes. programs. Um, the federal crop insurance program, uh, I Man. think they project a twenty-two billion dollar savings, they call it, cut, I would call it, over the next 10 years. And uh, yesterday, Secretary Purdue seemed to be walking that back a little bit. He said that the crop insurance program was a viable part of the safety net and a good deal for the American public. Where do you stand at? Well, the the president's budgets are always, they're they're more of a political um, thing more than anything else. I think President Obama, in all of the budgets he submitted, uh, several were voted on. He got a total of one vote total of all the budgets. One of the senators voted for it, said that he felt like they needed some support. So this is, you know, it, it's it's not just this president, it's presidents in general. Uh, so there, it's a very Spartan budget. You know, they've done that to, to uh, uh, again, just cut as much as they could cut. They know that Congress is going to reinstitute not only the Farm Bill programs, but several others that are vitally important to the country. So, no, I'm very much in favor. Again, as I said, this is a contract. Uh, We're not going to, uh, you know, significantly decrease uh, anything in the Farm Bill. So one of the more novel, I guess is a way to put it, provisions in the 
the new Trump budget that would relate to the farm bill would be a difference in the SNAP program with this uh, America's Harvest Box uh, that would provide shelf-stable foods uh, as part of the SNAP every month and the rest of it, I guess, would benefit going on an EBT card. What do you know or what do you think about that? Well, I have concerns about that in the sense, you know, how do you administer that? I think there's a, a really good chance that once the, the federal government gets involved and sets up the apparatus that they would have to have to administer that, it probably would cost more than than what we're doing now. On the other hand, I do think that there are places that we can find real savings uh, with the SNAP program. Uh, it's, a vital, it's a vital program that, that helps so many people that desperately need help. Uh, but there is there are some areas... Uh, and some of those we cleaned up last time, uh, where states were, were gaming this, the, the uh, system uh, because you have automatic signups. You know, you, mm-hmm. you put them in some program at a very cheap cost, and then automatically they're eligible for all these other programs uh, when they really shouldn't have been in the original program to begin with. So we can clean up some of those things, and there really are a large amount of savings in there. But as far as drastically changing the system as the president's proposing, I don't think that's going to have a lot of support. What about transitioning people off of SNAP and off these benefit programs? Uh, what do you think about that? Well, I think that that's you know, is something that we need to be doing. You do that through education. Uh, you also do it through employment. And right now, with employment uh, being uh, such that, that unemployment's very low, uh, you know, there are fewer people on, on SNAP and the other programs that we've seen in a long time. That's a very positive thing. One of the things from the, the tax cut bill that we've got, uh, that we've just passed, uh, that's going to grow the economy. Uh, again, grow employment. That's how you get out of those programs more than anything is, is uh, uh, with a healthy economy. Let's try turn to trade now. Uh, the U.S. then talks with Canada and Mexico to renegotiate, renegotiate NAFTA, uh, which has been a boon for Arkansas farmers, especially rice and farmers and poultry producers. Um, what are you doing to help protect the interests of Arkansans and Arkansas farmers and agriculture producers as far as exports go? Well, NAFTA is so important, you know, for our farmers, <clears throat> not just our farmers, but but you know, so many entities. So I've had the opportunity to meet with the Mexican ambassador, the Canadian ambassador, members of parliament from both places. They're very concerned also. Uh, you know, it's okay to, to talk about uh, cleaning up our trade agreements. Like everybody agrees, you know, that there's some work to be done there. On the other hand, it is something that we want to preserve. It's, it's greatly helped our farm community, greatly helped. Uh, uh, it's been a real balance uh, in the positive of so much of industry. So it's something we want to protect. Also, we also want to uh, continue to look for new markets. Uh, myself and, and Congressman Crawford have worked really hard as far as trade with Cuba, trying to open up that market uh, and in various other markets throughout the country. But you know, it's interesting when you look at it, uh, it we're never going to have a, a trade surplus with Mexico. I mean, Mexico is a very poor country. We are the richest country in the world. And so as a result, you know, you've got this, this very rich entity dealing with the other. Uh, you know, there's no way that they can need the goods and services, you know, to make a, a real dent in that. When you look, though, we have 
we have trade agreements with about 10% of the world. And when you combine all that together, actually the, the countries that we have trade agreements with were about equal as far as the trade balance. The, the places that we're having problems with are the places that we don't have trade agreements with, the Chinas, uh, you know, those kind of countries. And so actually we need to work harder on, on putting trade agreements in place that benefit both the United States and the other country. So in that same vein, talking about Asia, uh, you know, Arkansas farmers and agribusinesses were really looking forward to the Trans-Pacific Partnership, uh, which before the election, uh, both Secretary Clinton or Senator Clinton and uh, President Trump both decided they didn't want to be part of. Do you think that we'll be able to make individual or bilateral agreements with these countries, or do we need to look at uh, reevaluating uh, going back to TPP? There's been something in the news about that today. I think uh, 25 senators sent a, a letter to President Trump wanting him to reengage in TPP. What about that? Well, I think we should reengage, and certainly if we can't do that, then strike unilateral uh, agreements. But yeah, for all kinds of reasons, uh, trade has benefited our country. It's benefited our farmers in particular. Forty percent of the products uh, that are produced in Arkansas, agricultural products, are exported. Uh, so we, we, we desperately need not, not, not free trade, but fair trade. We need for it to, these programs to work such that they benefit both sides. Uh, the other thing that it is, in, in the case of this, uh, is that it keeps the Chinese, you know, from gobbling up everything and, and making it such that they create these agreements and then people don't trade with us, don't buy our products. So for all kinds of reasons, for national security reasons, uh, for the benefit of the American worker, uh, we need to strike agreements, again, that, that benefit both sides and, and then go forward. And it's interesting, this administration, when you talk to Secretary Perdue, he gets it. You know, he's very much uh, understands and, and is a free trader you know, or fair trader, you know, wanting to push things forward. Some of the other entities within the uh, uh, Trump White House, uh, the administration, simply are not there. And so we're working hard to get them, you know, in the position we want them to be. And I've had the opportunity to speak on the phone uh, probably three or four times with the trade representative. Again, just just trying to figure out where he's at and then also explaining uh, why these agreements are so, so very important as he works, you know, his, his job of trying to, to, uh, to get us the best deal that we can. So you mentioned Cuba a couple of minutes ago. Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, do you think that Cuba will ever again become a major market for American agriculture? I, I really do. I think that as the, uh, you know, when the Castros leave altogether, uh, that'll be another opportunity. Right now, even though, you know, 80% of the, the uh, food that the Cubans consume is imported, it makes no sense at all, regardless of how you be, feel about Cuba, not to supply that food. And so even some of the, uh, the people that have aggressively opposed uh, trade with Cuba, some of my friends in the Senate, some of my friends in the House, uh, they've, they've more or less excluded in their minds the ag part of it, okay? And, and that's a good thing. It's, but, but besides that, 
there's so many restrictions. You know, you can't you can't be a part of the Cuban government. You can't do this. It's really difficult because of the situation that that how the the government and private entities are set up there. I really believe very strongly, though, the way you change the world is through uh, personal relationships. When we trade with Cuba, we won't only be trading uh, goods and services, we'll be trading ideas, uh, ways of life, and uh, as a result, that's how I think we see the change that we want. We we trade with a lot worse people, or, or just as bad, certainly, with Saudi Arabia, China, Vietnam, the list goes on and on. So you as and far Sen- as human rights, you and Senator Heitkamp uh, introduced legislation to allow banks and companies to extend credit to Cuba for yes. this trade. Could you talk a little bit about that? We did uh, put together a bill that allowed um, people that wanted to trade with Cuba to be able to finance it through our banking system not putting the uh, the taxpayer on the hook at all. This would be a private, but just allowing them you know, to go forward with the bank, which we can't do right now, which again, doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, so uh, that would allow to, them to do that. Uh, and then very importantly, like I say, not putting the taxpayer on the hook, backing that up, uh, but just as private individuals. So we worked hard to try and you know push that along. We're continuing to do that. Those are the kind of chinks I think that you do, you know, to, to really uh, get a good foot in the door and then go from there. Yeah, it seems like there's there was so much enthusiasm in Arkansas uh, with Senator Crawford's office and uh, with all the Rice people making trips to Cuba and things. There was all this enthusiasm. There seemed to be momentum. And then it all kind of fell flat. And so I guess we have this hurdle of trying to get past the Castros. But then as soon as we clear that hurdle, we, we're coming up on this other one that they have to pay cash for everything. Yes. And we need to be able to extend them credit. No, that's exactly right. And the Obama administration was much more open you know, to, to, tr- to opening up uh, some of these things with Cuba. Uh, President Trump has pulled some of that back. And as a result, it has set us back a little bit. But uh, I, I think we certainly don't need to give up on that. I would, I would say that, uh, you know, in the not too distant future, we really do have a good opportunity to, to open things up, uh, and particularly in the ag world, it just simply does not make any sense uh, not to, uh, you know, supply the food that they need. So finally, I want to talk to you about the future of agriculture. You know, actual farmers, the people that grow the food, only make up 0.7% of the U.S. population. And the average age of a farmer in the U.S. is 57 years old. And so with global population continuing to grow exponentially, who's going to feed all these people? No, you're right. I, I mean, I'm, I'm very bullish on agriculture in the sense it's a tremendous profession, and and yet we have significant problems that we have to overcome. They're, they're saying that probably uh, when you look at the 18 net you know, re- receipts from our farmers uh, predicting forward, uh, probably that will be the lowest in the last 12 years. And so that's, that's not the direction that we'd like. It also illustrates how important the Farm Bill is and putting in place the crop insurances, the, the PLCs, the ARCs, you know those kind of things that allow not only the the uh, the farmer uh, you know some peace of mind and some stability, but
but every bit is important. It might be more importantly the banker that's going to loan him the money. And so, yeah, we, we have some real challenges. On the other hand, as I mentioned earlier, agriculture is, is probably 25% of the state of Arkansas's economy. But in much of Arkansas, in rural America, rural Arkansas, it's 95%. It's all there is. And so, very importantly, we need to invest in that, you know, at the federal level, the state level, uh, to protect this way of life. And then, very importantly, to make sure that we do have the cheapest, safest uh, food supply the world's ever known. We can be very, very proud of that. The other thing we can be very, very proud of is that we, you know, go a long way to feeding a good part of the rest of the world. You know, farming is such a capital-intensive business, and for for a lot of people that might that don't come from farm families but might like to become farmers, there's such a barrier of entry. Yes. Uh, is, is there anything you know of that can be done to help alleviate that? Well, it's a problem, and it's getting worse, as you know, better than anybody. Uh, but it's something we have to deal with, and, and I think that that's something that we'll be looking at in the Farm Bill. How do you get people into farming? And then again, how do you keep them in farming once they're in? How do you make them successful? And so uh, that's a challenge right now because it is so capital intensive. It, it, you know, as they say, you know, in visiting with our farmers, you know, the, it seems like, you know, in the good times, uh, your costs go up tremendously, you know, your input cost. In the bad times, you know, your, your, you know, your receipts go down, but those input costs never come down. You know, so yeah. it it's, makes it that much worse. Yeah, the seed companies and uh, the chemical companies are always trying to explain that lag to me, but it yeah. never comes down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Senator John mm-hmm. Bozeman, thank you very much for taking time well, to speak with us Thank you so today. much for having me. We appreciate all you do. The, you know, one of the keys to agriculture, one of the keys to, to the problems that we've talked about is just getting good information out there, and you guys do a tremendous job of that. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to the AgWatch podcast, where we dig deeper into the story to find the people and forces growing American agriculture. 